0: Hello. What day is it? Today is, let me see if I get it without, without, uh, fumbling. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, Thursday, October 21st, 2021. And I have two fun things to talk about. Um, two, two fun and strange and, and strange and strange and strange things to talk about. Before I get started with that, <clears throat> I was um, scrolling through Instagram yesterday and got reminded of something that I've been meaning to look further into. I uh, saw a while ago that, uh, a photo that I screenshotted from Robert Green's Instagram. And if you don't know who Robert Green is... Shame on you. Um he's the guy who's written uh, all those big chunky books that you see in the bookstores, 48 Laws of Power, uh Laws of Human Nature, um uh Art of uh, Seduction, Art of Mastery, um The 50th Law. Uh god, what else has he written? Um I think he just came out with a book. Uh, oh god, what's it called? I think it's called, like, Daily Laws, something like that. Um, I I think they're, like, meditations, and then he's got another one coming out, I think, in, like, a year or so. Um, Sip on water just because I've been running my mouth all day. Um, But anyways, he's an incredible writer. He writes these giant books. He does an insane amount of research uh, when, when he writes these books and that's the thing that I was going to go back to. Um, I, I was looking into what his writing process is and I mean, because you you see him talk on podcasts and interviews and stuff and he just knows so much and he can talk about so many different things in such depth. Um, and it just kind of made me curious as to how he retains all that information. And it it's kind of like a, a twofold thing. And let me just find the proper term for it. The first thing is called marginalia, which um, sounds weird. I I'd never heard the term until last night when I was looking into this. Um, one moment. Books. Okay. Um it's a fancy word for saying that when you read a book, you highlight it, you underline stuff, you circle stuff, and then in the margins you write questions or or ideas or statements or kind of reactions to whatever it is that you're reading on those pages. Um then, so that's kind of step 1, which kind of helps with retention anyways, because in asking those questions and pointing those things out, you retain them. Um, I think this was something that I had mentioned here a while ago, or it was just something that stood out to me. Uh, With Jordan Peterson, someone asked him how he retains stuff, because he said that he doesn't you know, highlight books, he doesn't underline things, he doesn't do any of that stuff like I would say most of us, either actively or passively do. Um, he said that he remembers things because he thinks about them. So he'll read something in a book and he'll think about it and talk to himself about it and talk to other people about it, whatever. Um, which I tried for a while, but I'm, it's very difficult for me to focus on stuff sometimes. Um, so I stopped doing that and kind of started doing this again. Um, but the second part of what this whole process is, is creating something called, what I guess is called a commonplace book. Um, and it's not really a book, it's like a, a box. And um, I, I was reading about Ryan Holiday's, because I guess Ryan Holiday, who wrote um, like the Daily Stoic, um, I, I haven't read his other books. I can't remember the, the names of them off the top of my head. I think Obstacles the Way is one of them. Um, but another good writer, another really smart guy. Um, he, I don't want to say trained with, he was um, someone who studied Robert Greene, who worked with him, um, and has a similar writing and, and research style. And it's doing this thing called creating a commonplace book which is basically a photo box full of index cards and they're categorized into whatever categories you're looking to learn more about. Um, And it's full of index cards that have margin notes and references and ideas and terms and stories and all those things on them. Um, And that comes after you do all your dissecting of a book as you go back through and you look at these things, and you write them down, and you look further into them. Um, Don't know why I felt like mentioning that, but it's, with with the whole commonplace book thing, it's something that I'm going to start doing, and I hate to, like, say that I'm going to start doing something at a later date, but being that everything that I own is currently in a box, um, I'm just not going to add to the, the mess right now because then I'll feel like I need to start digging through all the boxes that I have books in that I've highlighted and written through. Um, but yeah, I, I'll have more on that once I actually start doing it and start filling up that, that box that I get. Um, fuck. Okay. So like I said, I have two fun, strange, uh, Things to talk about. And I think one of them is, I mean, it's blatantly obvious. The first one I'm going to talk about. The second thing that I'm going to talk about, and I'm going to read both of these articles um, when I go through these two things, is, oh, okay, never mind. Um, the second one. I I was just, I I called Pat to see what his thoughts were before I came on to record about these. Um, Because the second one, I agree with half of it, and I disagree with another half of the story. And you'll see what I mean in a minute. Um, But I would also be curious to know what you guys think about it. Um, So as always, reach out if you have um, any thoughts, because, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. Anyways, Ah, okay, so this happened a few days ago. I put it down in the notes on my phone. Um, I I don't know if anything else has come of it, but when I read it on Twitter, it didn't really surprise me, Um, and then I saw the article on the front page of the MSN News tab the other day, and so I figured, okay, Let me uh, pull that aside and talk about it today. Um, This is from NPR. It's, uh, in one Texas district, teachers were told to give opposing views of the Holocaust. Now, that article title alone should confuse anybody reading it. Um, You know, opposing views of the worst thing to ever happen to uh, a group of people. Um, I mean, I, I've i mentioned it many times before, there's no debate as to how awful the Holocaust was. Um, unless you live in Texas, then apparently there's uh, room for flexibility somehow. Um, and this also reminded me of something that I saw, someone posted it on Twitter, it was a homework assignment that had a, it was a T chart and it said list, uh, the, the pros and cons of slavery. And the kid that filled it out was clearly taught, right? Because under the pros column, he put none. And then under the cons column, he obviously put everything that was wrong with slavery, which was quite an extensive list, of course. Um, so anyways, this article uh, a Texas school district has once again become the center of controversy after an administrator reportedly instructed teachers to provide students with, quote-unquote, opposing views of the Holocaust. Uh, Gina Petty, the executive director of curriculum and instruction for the Carroll Independent School District in South Lake, Texas, is alleged to have made the comments during a meeting last Friday, according to NBC News, which obtained audio of the meeting from an unnamed employee. Petty was reportedly meeting with teachers to instruct them on how to stock their classroom libraries when the subject of recent statewide legislation, as well as the Holocaust, came up. Quote, just try to remember the concepts of House Bill 3979, Petty could be heard saying on tape, according to NBC News, and make sure that if you have a book on the Holocaust, that you have one that has an opposing, that has other perspectives. Um... I mean, first of all, who has even written a book that has any sort of opposing perspective on the Holocaust? (laughs) Uh, House Bill 3979, which went into effect last month, mandates, among other things, that if public school teachers choose to discuss current events or widely debated or controversial public policy or social issues, they should present numerous points of view without giving deference to any one perspective. (sighs) Um okay, I, in a, okay, slightly, only slightly do I agree with this. Um, but this is only in regards to controversial policies or widely debated issues. If it's something that's reasonably debated and on the fence of controversy, um, I would say that it's something that, yeah, if you say, you know, this person says A, then you could also say on the other side, this person says B. And that way, people are allowed to kind of, you know, floss their brain and develop their own point of view on something. But that would be something like, ah, fuck, let me think. Um, You know, should it be legal that politicians get money from donors that influence what, uh, decisions they make in Congress. Stuff like that. Something that's, you know, you could argue it one way, you could argue it this another way. Um, should schools provide, I don't know, condoms in boys' bathrooms? Um, it's something I remembered I had a debate on when I was in my senior year of high school. Um, you know, what are the pros and cons? Should we, should we not? Is there consequences? Are we enabling anything? Are we providing better outcomes potentially? Blah, 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 stuff like that. Um, not, you know, is there room to debate, you know, what are your top five, uh, genocidal instances of all time, uh, throughout the course of humanity? Um, you know, list your favorite dictators in order from, uh, worst to, to best. It's not something that's really, there's no really give to that situation. It's, you know, this is what happened. This is how awful it was. This is why we can never allow that to happen again. Um, I mean, it's pretty clear cut again, unless you live in the school district in Texas. Um, and, Then again, the next article that I'm going to talk about is something that yes, like there's, there's two sides to this argument. We can say for one, you know, maybe there is an argument for why we should not allow this person to speak. But on the other hand, there is an argument for why we should let him speak. Um, but we'll get to that. Uh, a teacher at the meeting asked, quote, how do you oppose the Holocaust? Petty responded, believe me, that's come up, according to NBC News. Uh, The school district head apologizes, quote, there are not two sides of the Holocaust. Thank you for stating the obvious. I'm glad that you work in education. In response to reports, Superintendent Lane Ledbetter issued a statement via Facebook apologizing for the incident. Quote, as the superintendent of schools, I express my sincere apology regarding the online article, And the news story released today, his statement reads during the conversations with teachers during last week's meeting, the comments made were in no way to convey that the Holocaust was anything less than a terrible event in history. And I mean, even if you were using it as a a reference to just kind of highlight what the environment is that you're trying to create, there's no worse reference to provide, uh, no worse example to provide. Um, During the conversation... Wait, I already read that. Wait, no, I didn't. During the conversations with teachers during last week's meeting, the comments made were no... Oh, no, I did read that. Jesus Christ. Uh, Additionally, we recognize there are not two sides of the Holocaust, he continued. As we continue to work through implementation of House Bill 3979, we also understand this bill does not require an opposing viewpoint on historical facts. Okay. That's... Is, okay see that's the thing um it's it's not it's not the the situation itself it's the wording as well where it says we also understand that this bill does not require an opposing viewpoint on historical facts to me that sounds like there always is a potential that we could be required to provide some sort of opposing story to fact. Um, and the thing is if if it's a fact there is no opposing viewpoint um it's again clear cut as a district we will work to add clarity to our expectations for teachers and once again apologize for any hurt or confusion this has caused if you're a teacher that i mean even entertains that thought why are you teaching how are you teaching um it just is baffling When contacted by NPR with a request for comment, school district officials pointed to Ledbetter's previous statement. In a statement to NBC News, Karen Fitzgerald, a spokesperson for the district, said teachers across the state were put in a precarious position by House Bill 3979. Uh, Our purpose is to support our teachers in ensuring they have all the professional development resources and materials needed. Our district has not and will not mandate books be removed, nor will we mandate that classroom libraries be unavailable, she wrote. Uh, Holocaust comments are the latest in a string of controversies. Numerous political leaders have chimed in on the claims, including Texas Senator Kelly Hancock, who argued that Southlake actions had nothing to do with the bill. Quote, school administrators should know the difference between factual historical events and fiction, he wrote on Twitter. Southlake just got it wrong. No legislation is suggesting the action this administrator is promoting. And this kind of goes with the thing that I talked about the, the past two or three recordings with the the school board meetings and the debating on, you know, what are we going to have the kids do? What are we going to have them learn? Um, CRT, this whole Holocaust opposing view thing. Um, My thing is, if it was my say, and I think most people would have the same perspective, if we could just teach things how they happened because they've been documented and are historically accurate and relevant. Um, I mean, there's really no room for debate. It, it shouldn't be something where, you know, parents and, and people on a school board can look at a curriculum and say, I want my kid to learn this. I don't want my kid to learn that this is nonsense. I don't agree with this. I don't believe in this. Um, you know, this is this is politically different than how I raise people in my house. It shouldn't be about that. It should be, this is how things are. This is what happened. This is what has been documented for decades and decades. Uh, so this is what we're going to teach. And this is how we create people who can think about things and understand history and look at people and try to understand why the world was the way it was compared to why it is the way it is now. Stuff like that. Um, But instead we're too busy cherry picking and making things into politics and it's just so strange why... um, I mean, does it not concern you that it's a point of debate as to, like, really, you know, aggressive debate as to what is being taught? Um, You know, it should be universal. Of course, if you're, you know, raising kids that are going to school in a, a big city that has history, teach it about its local, teach them about their local history. Um, but then, you know, global events, important stuff that's happened in the country, um, you know, stuff that we're ashamed of. It's important to point out and talk about. And I think too, this whole nationalist mentality, um, and especially with the whole Trump thing where he had some bill that he was trying to push where, um, it was going to teach kids, you know, oh, America's the best thing ever and we can do no wrong. And, um, you know, it was just going to kind of take a black Sharpie and go over all the bad stuff and say, oh, look, we've done some innovating over the years. Uh, Aren't we great? It's just not the case. Um, So, you know, teach what has actually happened. Shouldn't be a difficult conversation, but... Apparently, people making the decisions are fucking stupid. Um, Another state senator, Beverly Powell, tweeted already, we're seeing the impact of a vague and unnecessary bill that leaves teachers and administrators confused and afraid to teach the history of the Holocaust or the Civil War without teaching both sides. Um, Again, it's not... I don't think it's a pressure to feel like you need to teach both sides. I think if you look at how people are in this country right now, people don't care about both sides. And this is going to sound contradictory to everything I just said, because I'm kind of just defending this idea that people only want to believe in one thing. Um, In a way, in regards to the whole Holocaust thing... You can really only believe one thing because only one thing happened. Um, there's no other side. But for a lot of these things now that people argue about and getting fights on over the internet, um, you know, it, it, there is more than one side to a lot of these things that people argue about. There's more than one variable that goes into a lot of things that people argue about. The thing that we're going to talk about in a minute is kind of a good example of that, which you'll understand, uh, shortly. Um, that, that is something that we could reasonably look at both sides to, but people are so certain that, that their viewpoint on something is correct. And, you know, if it's based on morals, I kind of respect it. Um, even if I don't agree with it, but I think that in certain instances, there is more than one side to something. Um, with all that said, that does not apply to the Holocaust or the civil war. Um, it, it was what it was there. There's no arguing about it. I can say it a million more times. I probably will. Um, news of the South Lake scandal comes on the heels of more drama in the district located in the Dallas Fort Worth suburbs. Late last year, a fourth grade teacher faced disciplinary action after a parent complained that their child had brought home a book about being anti-racist, according to the NBC News report. Southlake was also the settling or setting of parent clashes over critical race theory that made headlines earlier this year. Again, America, obviously, slavery, people that were against the civil rights movement, has done a lot of shitty stuff in its past. It does a lot of shitty stuff right now. Um, To ignore it or to try to tap dance around it when you're trying to educate kids, um, I think it's disingenuous. I don't think you should be a teacher. I think that you should talk about not just the bad things that happened, but the depth of the impact that they had, Um, how some people somehow thought that that stuff was okay. Um, I just remember like in my experience in school, just skimming over a lot of this stuff. Um, and I, I, don't think it's appropriate that this is something that, you know, we have to be exposed to after the fact. Um, you know, when we're young, obviously you don't want to look at a, a six year old child and tell him, you know, that we had to constantly be power washing people's blood off the pavement because we didn't want to treat people as human beings, Um, you know, because it's a six year old child. But I think it gets to a point where they're old enough where they can understand that not everybody is good. Not everybody has good ideas. Um, Not everybody's going to do the right thing. And there's all these variables, power, money, political, social influence that come into play that impact all these things. But at the end of the day, People are people, and some people are good, and some people are bad. Um, you know, if you want to argue it, you have a right to, but it, you might not be correct. Um, you know, some people will say, well, if I'm not correct, I'm still using free speech. Like, okay, whatever, that's a different conversation. But teach what has happened teach the impact of the things that have happened, Um, teach what could have happened if we took a misstep in another direction, or where things could have turned for the better if we would have done something differently. This is how kids learn problem solving and critical thinking, and they understand cause and effect and the depth of their actions and their behaviors long term. Um, You know, even if you fix something and 2010, it can still be broken in 2020 because you didn't do something soon enough or you didn't, you know, apply the right amount of effort or intuition into trying to solve something. (sighs) You know? Um, The whole... What is this? Uh, After a parent complained that their child had brought home a book about being anti-racist. Fourth grade teacher. Fourth grade teacher. Fourth grade... Um, fourth grade. Because again, to me, obviously, this is something you want to teach kids that being racist is bad. It's obvious. Um, I think kids when they're young, they don't, they don't have even a comprehension of what racism is because their perspective on something is, well, if I like this person, I like this person, you know, if they're fun to be around, I like to hang out with them. They like to, I don't know, use crayons or whatever. I like them. Or maybe they don't like someone because they like to use shitty markers. That's how kids are. Kids aren't saying stuff like, I don't like this person because of the way they look. Or I don't like this person because of, you know, their uh, their family background. That's not something that young kids fathom. That stuff that they're exposed to that they begin to comprehend is something that's irrational way to think. Um, it comes from the home. It comes from kids listening to their parents watch the news or little kids listening to their parents talk to other people's parents or their friends about stuff that people generally wouldn't agree with, um, that they think is okay because a a parental or authoritative figure that they look up to acknowledges it as something that's valid. Um, so, yeah, I... I mean... I don't know, it's... You put anti in front of something, it just sounds weird. Um, but again, it is... Racism is not something that is a, a two-sided thing. It's it's not good. There, there's no positives to it. Um, yeah. So, that's that article. Um... And again, with the whole, like, we're going to implement this theory or that theory, it's like, we just need to stop debating on what we're going to talk about and we need to put people in charge that will realize we're just going to teach what has happened. We're, we're going to dot all our T's and cross all our I's um, and make sure that we're presenting a, a legitimate history of, you know, what happened and what's happening now that's all. I think that's completely reasonable. Okay. So for this next thing that I'm going to talk about, it is one of those things that you can get a, a variety of flavors when it comes to reading a story like this, depending on what, um, you know, source you're reading it on. Um, Oddly enough, I found, like, the most neutral and, like, you know, kind of give-and-take article from the New York Times, which, you know, whatever. Um, This is about a scientist who was going to be doing a a talk at MIT, um, which... MIT is, that's where the studs go. The the scientists, the engineers, the mathematicians. Um, really, really smart, sophisticated brains. Um, and I guess this guy has some controversial views on affirmative action, which I don't agree with. Um, and I don't think a lot of people listening specifically would agree with him. Um, but he was uninvited from the speaking event because of the students saying that they didn't like his political views. Um, This guy's a scientist. I've never heard of him. I don't know who he is, but he was relevant enough to be invited to speak at MIT about some science-y thing. Um, I, before reading the article to you, I will say, um, folks have been uninvited from schools in recent history because they've consistently been controversial about obvious shit that you shouldn't be controversial about because, you know, again, it's kind of like with the whole Holocaust thing. There's really not any other way to see some things, um... But consistently controversial, I guess I could understand we don't want someone coming to speak. Um, you know, my thing is, it doesn't depend, Why? okay, to an extent, it depends on the person. Um, I, I said to Pat when we were having this conversation, I said... You know, if the the Grand Wizard or whatever of the Ku Klux Klan came to a school to uh, do a children's book reading and and raise money for cancer, I think ninety nine percent of people would look at that and say, "Well, I'm still not going to attend because I don't care." You know, if he's making balloon animals for sick kids, he's still the Grand Wizard of the Klan, um, and I can't condone or support that. I understand that. Um, not comparing or contrasting anyone. To whoever that is, um, but you see what I'm saying. You, to a certain point, can't separate the the ideas from the 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 vehicle, which is the person. Um, but sometimes you can, and I think when you can do that is when it comes to science, because people that are scientists that I guess are respected enough to be invited to speak at MIT have something important to say about whatever science-y thing they're trying to do science with. Um, But let me just dive into this article. Uh, MIT's choice of lecturer ignited criticism, so did its decision to cancel. Dorian Abbott's a scientist who has opposed aspects of affirmative action. He's now at the center of an argument over free speech and acceptable discourse. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Uh, Chicago. The Massachusetts Institute of Technology invited the geophysicist... I don't know what geophysics is. um, Dorian Abbott to give a prestigious public lecture this autumn. He's, he could have said this fall, but he had to add, add a, a little bit of extra spice to it and say this autumn. He seemed a natural choice, a scientific star who studies climate change and whether planets and distant solar systems might harbor atmospheres conducive to life. Um, so he's not dumb. He, you know, space, planet, stuff. Uh, then a swell of angry resistance arose. Some faculty members and graduate students argued that Dr. Abbott a professor at the University of Chicago had created harm by speaking out against aspects of affirmative action and diversity programs in videos and opinion pieces. Dr. Abbott, who is white has asserted that such programs treat quote people as members of a group rather than as individuals repeating the mistake that made possible the atrocities of the 20th century. He said that he favored a diverse pool of applicants selected on merit. (sighs) Okay. Um, if, if there's one thing that I actually did learn in business school, it's that lacking diversity in any realm is both in the short and long term detrimental to, I don't know, if you're making a study group, if you're working on a project with people, if you're in a corporation or a business with people, um, there's so much opportunity that diversity allows for that you can't get with just selecting people based off of the fact that they qualify. Um, and my connection there is I look at a lot of kids in college as people who read the textbook, they do the homework, they do the assignments, and then they graduate and they don't do anything with anything afterwards. Um, Very, you know, cookie cutter. They're kind of all the same. They kind of all think the same. Um, Just because someone has credentials doesn't mean that they are any different than anybody else from anywhere. Um, And with diversity, you welcome in different backgrounds, different upbringings, different perspectives, all the stuff that gets ignored by people saying, okay, where did you go to school? It doesn't really necessarily mean anything. Um, And again, I'll say the word again, because I I love it today. It's really disingenuous just to look at credentials and merit. And, you know, obviously, you know, it depends, I guess, in a way as to, you know, what qualifies someone for something. But I, I really have no issue with the whole um, kind of dodging merit thing. Um, you know, obviously people earn positions, but it's, it's just not always going to be how it is. Um, and again, different backgrounds, different upbringings, different perspectives, different life experiences is way more important in my eyes than where'd you go to school? Did you get good grades? Were you on the Dean's list? you know, talk to a lot of those people. They're fucking boring. It doesn't matter how smart they may be. Um, you didn't experience anything and you didn't learn anything that wasn't being graded. Um, you're boring. Anyways, let me keep reading. Oh, where was I? Shit. Okay. So speaking out against aspects of affirmative action and diversity programs, uh, in videos and opinion pieces, Dr. Abbott, who's white has asserted that such programs treat people as members of group rather than as individuals repeating the mistake that made possible the atrocities of the 20th century. I don't think that we should look at people as someone that belongs to a group. Um, but in the sense of creating diversity in teams, um, I think it's important. Um, And then in doing that, we get to learn who the individual is. And if that individual sucks, then they don't work with us, I guess. What are you going to do? He said that he favored a diverse pool of applicants selected on merit. So, I mean, that doesn't really sound... Bad, he prefers diverse pools of applicants selected on merit. Um, so merit is, you know, you have become capable and competent of being recognized for some sort of achievement. Um, but then it's also understood that we want to aim for diversity because, again, the the positive outcomes, everyone's being included. Everyone's got these different backgrounds that they can provide experience, information. Context from that they make things interesting, first of all, and then again, short term, long term, um, it's just beneficial for everybody. Uh, He said that his planned lecture at MIT would have made no mention of his views on affirmative action, but his opponents in the sciences argued he represented a quote infuriating, inappropriate, and oppressive choice. So, this is where I have the issue. Yes, I don't agree with his viewpoint on affirmative action. Um, However, it's got nothing to do with his scientific talk. Um, He wasn't going to talk about it at all. It's just something that is kind of a a negative checkmark against him, which is enough for people to say, well, we don't want to hear what he has to say even if it's got nothing to do with what he was going to talk about. And this is the whole, like, you ever see people arguing online if they're like, well, can we separate the art from the artist? Um, You know, with sports, if we find someone's on PEDs, uh, you know, can we discount their whole career or just what they've done recently? Or the, you know, the, the fight or the baseball game that they were on some sort of performance enhancer. Um, Are we going to discount the entire person because of one thing? And obviously, you know, I'm not doing any charity work with a serial killer because they're a serial killer. Um, So you can't really, you know, make that divorce of, uh, you know, aspects there. But again, it's, I think my issue in general with this whole thing is like, rather than looking at the individual ideas, we're just looking at the one idea that we generally disagree with and then just using that to kind of be our North Star into guiding us through whatever situation this is. Um, if, if I'm a geophysicist or if I'm studying something in that realm and I heard that this guy was going to be doing a talk at whatever school I was going to, I would be interested in going to see it. I I wouldn't do a Google search to figure out every opinion that this person has on everything. Um, until I found something that I didn't, you know, line up with and then say, okay, well, never mind. I actually would prefer this person didn't come to the school at all. Actually. Um, I think it's very, you know, they're a geophysicist. They work at the university of Chicago. They're obviously smart. They have something to offer. Um, And, you know, for any reason, if he decided to bring that shit up at his lecture, then it would be, you know, unprofessional, honestly, because it wasn't part of the talk. And, you know, then maybe you got a reason to be a little angry. Um, but if we're here to learn about science, then let's talk about science and, you know, leave everything else for either a different conversation or we don't need to touch on it at all because it's not being discussed. Um... On September 30th, MIT reverse course, the head of its Earth, Atmospheric and Planetary Sciences Department called off Dr. Abbott's lecture to be delivered to professors, graduate students and the public including some top <clears throat> excuse me, uh, including some top black and latino high school students. <sighs> "Quote, besides freedom of speech, we have the freedom to pick the speaker who best fits our needs," said Robert Vanderhilst, the head of the department at MIT. Quote words matter and have consequences. Which again, I agree with. Um but he was there to talk about really high-end science stuff, and so let him come talk about the science stuff. Um I'm sure that his views were known before this, and the only reason that they made any change is because there were students that were, you know, vocal about not wanting him there because of his views. Um, evermore fraught arguments over speech and academic freedom on American campuses have moved as a flood tide into the sciences, biology, physics, math, all have seen fierce debates over discourse, hiring, and objectivity. And some on the academic left have moved to silence those who disagree on certain questions. Um, okay, I'll keep reading. A few fields have purged scientific terms and names seen by some as offensive, and there's a rising call for citational justice, arguing that professionals and graduate students should seek to cite cite more black, Latino, Asian, and Native American scholars, and in some cases refuse to acknowledge in footnotes the research of those who hold distasteful views. Still, the decision by MIT, viewed as a high citadel of science in the United States, took aback some prominent scientists. Debate and argumentation, impassioned, even ferocious, is the mother's milk of science, they said, Uh, which I agree with. Um, You know, controversial views, I think on a personal level, if people want to debate those and have conversations about them, that's great. And I think that's what people should do because it's how we learn and obviously going to contradict the last segment that I talked about. It's how we learn about people's opposing viewpoints and how they get to them. Um, I think where a lot of the the lack of discourse comes in colleges is stuff that you can have more than one side to. Um, you know, there's probably like what a few thousand people on the planet that don't believe uh, that the Holocaust happened. Okay, how many people are on the planet? Like eight billion. Now, if seven billion people said that they didn't believe it happened, um, you know, then maybe we have to, uh, look back at things, but let's be honest, it's never going to happen because there's, there's no debate. Um, and anyone who does try to debate it is just, I mean, as we just did in the last article, it's laughed at, it's, it's nonsense. It's, it's just nonsense. That's all it is. Um, but with this, it's, you know, I, I've I've sat silently in conversations with people before because even though I agree with them, I look at something from a different angle. That I know, if I voiced, I would be looked at as like a completely different person because there's this it's just this very dramatic sense of you know the morality and entitlement and I mean if you're in college, you're trying to learn. Um, so to go around telling people what's right and wrong and what they can and can't say, it's like, if you're so sure that everything you're doing is correct. And if you're so sure that you know so much about everything, then why are you even in college? You're wasting your time. You're wasting your money. Um, I I just don't get it. Uh, it, uh, I, I've i never really seen it personally when I was on a college campus. Um, I remember right around the 2016 election, I saw some people walking around with the red hats at school, um, and I, I, I never saw people yelling at them or anything. Um, you know, it... it it seemed no different than someone wearing like a Yankees hat, uh, which is strange to say, because now it's like a, you know, you're in like a cult type thing. But, um, and again, the, the only real reference I have to any weird interaction that I observed at a college was when, um, I was at Nazareth, and it was after the election, and there was just a forum of kids that were talking about concerns on campus after the election because there was people, um, graffitiing, you know, hates like genuine hate speech, um, you know, swastikas, uh, slurs, um, anti LGBTQ plus type stuff, um, and kids were voicing their concerns about that because they were genuine, relevant concerns. Um, And during that conversation, which, you know, a lot of kids were emotional, a lot of kids were concerned, a lot of kids were, because the president was, of, of the school was sitting there, a lot of kids were saying, you know, I don't feel safe here. I I, I don't want to stay on campus. I don't want to, you know, stay here. I want to transfer somewhere else where this won't happen. I, I don't even want to be in class. I want to do stuff online, stuff like that. And I remember this one girl said, um, she raised her hand and she said, you know, while we're all here... I think it's also important to mention that we shouldn't, um, listen to music that objectifies women. Um, and there was people that were like clapping and I was like, well, they weren't clapping. They were doing that whole finger snapping thing. And, um, I just sat there and I was like, that's not why it's not what we're talking about right now. And I mean, yeah, I guess maybe it could be something to have a conversation about, you know, if certain types of music have an influence on how kids view, uh, you know, different genders, but that's not why we were there. We were talking about something that was way, way, way more important than what this girl had mentioned. Um, I just remember sitting there going like, what the fuck now? Cause she, she kind of opened the door to, anyone raising their hand and say, oh, we should also talk about this while we're here. Um, I mean, the conversation was strategically brought back to center, but I just remember hearing that and I was like, what? Like, we're talking about kids that are scared that they're going to get, you know, attacked if they're walking to their dorm late at night. And she wants to talk about what music we should and shouldn't listen to. Um, and it's just like, what? That, I mean, that you're paying to learn, and these are the things that you draw up when we're talking about important stuff? Um, anyways, quote, I thought scientists would not get on board with the denial of free speech movement, said Jerry Coyne, an emeritus professor of evolutionary biology at the University of Chicago. I was absolutely wrong, 100% so. Dr. Abbott, 40, 40 years old, spoke of his shock when he was told his speech was canceled. I truly did not know what to say. He said in an interview in his Chicago apartment, we're not going to do the best science if we are constrained ideologically. I botched that word. We're not going to do the best science we can if we're constrained ideologically. Um... And that's the thing, is it wasn't a restraint that was based off of other scientific findings. It's not like someone was coming to... I mean, this is like... I would say a, a good, you know, example here would be... Let's think. If some doctor, some prestigious doctor... Uh, the Surgeon General was going to come to someone's college to talk about, um, you know, the effectiveness of a, a COVID vaccine. Um, and then there was a, a group on campus that was like, you know, they, they said, well, that's irrelevant because we believe that it's best to, you know, use Lysol or whatever, which we all know is wrong. Um, it's... it just doesn't apply, is what I'm trying to say. Like, it's not that we're canceling one thing out with another. It's just that it it doesn't apply to the current situation. Um, no, my example was fucked up, sorry. If someone was coming to talk about the effectiveness of a COVID vaccine at a school, who is a prestigious doctor, and someone was like, well, this person also believes that you... I don't know, that you should get shot if you're caught jaywalking. Um, You know, they're, they're unrelated. So we can critique this person for thinking of that crazy thing that no one really agrees with. Um, But, you know, this guy has the credentials to be able to speak about medicine. So let's hear what he has to say about medicine. And then, you know, we can all mock him when he leaves by, you know, ignoring a crosswalk signal that's all I'm saying. Um, I, I think that, and I mean, I, have mentioned this too before with, um, Jordan Peterson's books. It's kind of like the whole thing that people look at. And I think if we looked at most people, we would find something that they think or that they've said or that they believe that we don't agree with. Um, but what about all the stuff that they've said or that they've contributed that makes sense? And why is it that we ignore those things? Um, You know, you know. And obviously, you know, if a serial killer wrote a book about how they did everything, um, people would eat it up because for some reason people like that. We like to listen to podcasts about people that have gone on killing sprees. Um, you know, we obsess over people who have gone missing and we try to be, you know, at home detectives. Um, we, we obsess over, I don't know, what's, what. the, I think I mentioned this a while ago that the whole Ted Bundy obsession where people are like super interested in him. I guess you can make the argument in saying, um, I can't believe you're so interested in this guy. He's a murderer. Um, you know, then you just got to discount him completely, which, you know, I think read about them and listen about them and stuff. Stop making TV shows that kind of make them out to be sexy characters. Um, that's a different argument. But, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, they. it just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense if we're here to talk about one thing, let's talk about that one thing. And, you know, if this guy shows up at a, a panel discussion talking about diversity efforts and affirmative action, then that's the time that you challenge their views and critique them and offer your two cents and your perspective. Um, because that, I mean, that's just how things work. And especially with science too. If You're just going to tell someone that they can't come and talk and share their ideas and their research. Um, You know, why? What are you you doing? Are you there to learn or are you just there to kind of try and coach other people through, uh, you know, living a moral life? Anywho, uh, this is a debate fully engaged in academia. I'm very burpy. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. No sooner had MIT canceled his speech than Robert P. George, director of Princeton's James Madison Program in American Ideals and Institutions, invited him to give the speech there on Thursday, the same day as the canceled lecture. Dr. George is a founding member of Academic Freedom Alliance, which is dedicated to promoting academic debate. MIT has behaved disgracefully and manipulated... Cap, blah, 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 blah. Capitulating to a politically motivated campaign, Dr. George said, this is part of a larger trend of the politicization of science. Uh, The story took another turn this week as David Romps, a professor of climate physics at the University of Berkeley, California, Berkeley, announced that he would resign as director of the Berkeley Atmospheric Sciences Center. He said he had tried to persuade his fellow scientists and professors to invite Dr. Abbott to speak and so reaffirm the importance of separating science from politics. In quote, in my view, there are some institutional principles that we have to hold sacred, he said in an interview on Tuesday. The history of science is no less marked than other fields of learning by abhorrent papers of suppression and prejudice. Nazi and communist regimes twisted science to their own end, and scientists buckled, fled, or suffered perilous consequences. Some professors point to aspects of that history as a cautionary tale for American science. In the United States, so-called race science, including the measurements of skulls with the intent to determine intelligence was used to justify subordination of black people, Chinese, Italians, Jews, and others. Experiments were carried out on people without their consent. Wait, how is this relevant? Oh, yeah, it's fucked up. Sorry, I was reading so fast I had to go back. Um, Yeah, measuring skulls to determine how smart someone was. Yeah, it's fucked up, and I... Don't think that there's any support of that. Uh, the worst of that history lies decades past. That said, the faculty at geoscience departments in the U.S. has more white faculty than some other sciences. Departments have attracted more female professors of late, but struggle to recruit Black and Latino candidates. The number of Asian Americans earning geoscience degrees has decreased since the mid-1990s. The controversy surrounding Dr. Abbott's canceled talks uh, talk speaks as well to attention manifest In progressive circles between social justice and free speech, some faculty members have come to see identity and racial inequities as more urgent than questions of muzzled speech. Mm, Phoebe A. Cohen is a geosciences professor and department chair at Williams College and one of many who expressed anger on Twitter at MIT's decision to invite Dr. Abbott to speak, given that he has spoken against affirmative action in the past. Dr. Cohen agreed that Abbott's views are... Reflect a broad current in American society. Ideally, she said, a university should not invite speakers who do not share its values on diversity and affirmative action. Nor was she, wait. Okay. Nor was she enamored of MIT's offer to let him speak at a later date to the MIT professors. "Quote: Honestly, I don't know that I agree with that choice," she said to me. "The professional consequences are extremely minimal." Am I a dope, or did I just read that whole thing and not understand what her thoughts were? Uh, What she was asked of the effect on academic debate, should the academy serve as a bastion of unfettered speech? Um, This idea of intellectual debate and rigor has the pinnacle of intellectualism comes from a world in which white men dominated, she replied. Stefan Alexander, theoretical physics professor at Brown University and author of uh, Fear of a Black Universe and Outsider's Guide to the Future of Physics, said he was not familiar with the intricacies of the story, but he noted that we live in a highly polarized world. The question he said is whether we play into that culture or figure out constructive dialogue and maybe exercise some compassion. Uh, room for debate and nuance is what a university is about. There we go. Okay, who's this guy? Stefan Alexander. Let me look him up what he do? <laughs> Stefan Gilmore. Uh, Stefan Alexander, theoretical physicist, cosmologist, musician, and author who blends the worlds of theoretical physics and jazz music. Holy shit. Huh. Q&A with Stefan Alexander. Greater diversity in science could unlock the secrets of the universe. Cool. Okay. Um, so again, he says, uh, room for debate and nuance is what a university is about. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I, I, I get that people have questionable views on some things. Um, but again, like I said, if they're there to talk about something that they are a scholar in um, and that they intellectually excel on, I mean, that should be welcomed at a school. Um, I mean, it's, it's an open thing. It's for people to show up to, to listen to and learn from. Um, you know, it's not like someone's trying to lecture about some personal ideology um, that not a lot of people will agree with. Um, and the whole point, it's supposed to be a push and pull. We're supposed to learn from people and even learning from people. could be, if someone says something I don't agree with, I'm going to feel that I don't agree with something. It it could be because of something that I've read that I don't think lines up, you know, factually, or it could be something that I feel that I morally don't agree with. And so then I further look into it to either confirm or deny my initial reaction to it. Um, I think less and less people are doing that, and I think that's kind of just at their disadvantage. Um, I don't know what this guy's views are, but for me, I want to hear them because I don't agree with them. I don't think I do. I would imagine I don't, which is kind of interesting to me that someone so smart in one field can have a view that a lot of people don't agree with. Um, I want to hear it because I want to be able to justify to myself why I don't agree with it. Um, Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, And again, he wasn't going there to talk about it. He was going there to talk about something else. But people were unable to separate that from the talk. Um, I get that it's offensive, but it wasn't going to be there. I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm about the individual, the individual person, the individual idea. Um, I could cancel one thing out and, you know, accept the, whatever the other thing is. Um, I think a lot of people can too. They just don't want to admit it. Uh, this fight did not surprise Dr. Abbott, who described his own politics as centrist. A Maine native, he went to Harvard and came to the University of Chicago for a fellowship and became a tenured professor. He said he found in Chicago a university that remained a leader in up- upholding the values of free speech, even as he noticed that colleagues and students often fell silent when certain issues arose. Dr. Abbott said his department had spoken of restricting a faculty search to female applicants And quote, underrepresented minorities, except for Asians. He opposed it. Quote, um, from Abbott, Asians are a group that is not privileged. He said, it reminds me of the quotas used to restrict Jewish students decades ago. Um, I I don't know what he's referring to. (coughs) And I think too, sometimes people will look at something happening now and relate it to something that it doesn't actually compare to that happened in the past. Um, I think there's a lot of overanalyzing and I think there's a lot of underanalyzing that goes on all at once, um, rather than just like, how do we feel about this? It's a simple question. Uh, he spoke to, of a lack of ideological diversity, noting that a conservative Christian student was hectored and made to feel out of place in an unyielding ideological climate. Last year, he laid out his thoughts and videos and posted them on YouTube if there's two things that, as you know, I don't really agree with at all, it's uh, conservative politics and Christianity. Um, you take those and you mesh them together. Would I enjoy speaking to someone from that perspective? No, but do I feel like I would learn things? Yes. And I don't mean learn things as in have takeaways that will change my mind. Um, but learn things as into, you know, potentially further justifying how I feel about something or making me think slightly differently about how I view something, or maybe I viewed something incorrectly. And now based off of this person's, you know, explanation and whatever the Q and A and the discourse is, um, maybe I add another layer to how I feel about something. It's not always about, I don't agree with this person. So what's the point? It's, I don't agree with this person So let me hear what they have to say so I can just add more layers to my thought process. Because then, too, you get to learn how people look at stuff. Um, And then that just allows you to further dissect other things that you were exposed to later on in your life. Yeah. Um... Loud complaints followed. This is a fucking long article. About 150 graduate students, most of whom were from the University of Chicago, and a few professors from elsewhere, signed a letter to the geophysical faculty at the University of Chicago. They wrote that Dr. Abbott's videos threatened the safety and the belonging of all underrepresented groups within the department. The letter said the university should make clear that his videos were inappropriate and harmful to the department members and climate. Dr. Abbott has since taken the videos down. Because maybe he felt that they were correct and that that's something that he should water down or I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, he took him down. Uh, Robert Zimmer, then the president of the University of Chicago, issued a statement strongly reaffirming the university's commitment to freedom of expression. Uh, Dr. Abbott's popular climate change class remains fully subscribed. The Tempest subsided. Uh, Dr. Abbott said he offered to show his videos to some grad student activists and discuss it, but not apologize. Graduate students said they refused his offer. Dr. Abbott said, I realized if I offered to apologize, there would just be blood in the water. Yeah, because they would fucking rip them apart. Um, He offered to show his videos to some grad student activists and discuss it, but not apologize. Um, I mean, that's... I mean, you got to give him some credit. He wanted to talk to student activists about it and share opinions and viewpoints. Um, I kind of respect that. In regards to apologizing, I'm not really sure what his verbatim perspectives and takes were. So I don't know what the situation, um, you know but not apologize. It's kind of a dick thing, though, if you're like, all right, we'll talk about it, but I'm not apologizing. Um, Yeah. I mean, good on him for wanting to talk about it with people and, like, welcoming that environment, which is how things should be. It's like, yes, we disagree. Let's talk about it. Um, But you can't just come out and be like, but I'm not apologizing for shit. Um, It's kind of snarky. In August, Newsweek published a column by Dr. Abbott and Ivan Marinovic, an accounting professor at Stanford University, that called for revamping affirmative action and equity programs. They also supported doing away with legacy admissions, which gives preferred admission to the children of alumni and athletic scholarships. Both, pro- blah, 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 blah. Both programs disproportionately benefit white well-to-do students. Um, and they want to do away with it. That's great. I never understood that anyways. And so, oh, my dad went here. Um, Okay, cool. But your transcript sucks. Um, Oh, Jesus. Hold on a minute. I just got the craziest spam text. My God. Okay. Um, okay. So they supported doing away with legacy programs, which sounds like something that I think a lot of people would also agree on. It's like, what entitles you to be here just because you had a parent that went here? It's, you know, and again, disproportionately benefited white well-to-do students. Um, You know, to that, I say, get rid of the legacy program. And then to the people that don't like that you got rid of the legacy program, get over it. In the last three sentences of that column, the professors drew an analogy between today's climate on campus, oh, Jesus Christ, and Germany of the 1930s and warned of what happened when an ideological regime obsessed with race came to power and what it did to free thought. Uh, the remarks reignited the anger of people who had previously clashed with Dr. Abbott over affirmative action. Even supporters of Dr. Abbott's free speech rights saw the comparison to Nazi German as overdrawn. I think it's a little overdrawn. Yeah. Uh, but they added that it was hardly unusual for academics to draw rhetorical comparisons to the rise of fascism and communism. Uh, c- quote, can we just be honest here? This is not a bit happening because Dr. Abbott used a bit of especially vivid language, Dr. George said. This is legitimate subject of debate and the argument that it makes students unsafe is risable. Dr. Vanderhilst of MIT expressed respect for Dr. Abbott's scientific work but drilled down on the Newsweek essay. Quote, drawing analyses to genocide is totally within his right to do so. Uh, he said, but he added, it is inflammatory and stifles the very respectful discourse we need. Okay, there we go. If we're going to have a discourse, we're going to be nice about it because we're smart people and we're sophisticated and we respect other people's ideas even if we don't agree with them and we will let this person expand on their ideas so we can have a counter-argument where we expand on our ideas and tell them why we think we're right and they're wrong and that we disagree with them and that we don't see things the way that they do. That's how things should be, right? Uh, He stressed that he talked to senior officials at MIT before deciding to cancel the lecture. It was not who shouted the loudest, Dr. Vanderhill said. I listened very carefully. Dr. Vanderhill speculated that black students might well have been repelled if they learned of Dr. Abbott's views on affirmative action. This lecture program was founded to explore new findings on climate science, and MIT has hoped to attract such students to the school. He acknowledged that these same students might well in years to come encounter professors, mentors even, who hold political views at odds with their own. Those are good questions, but somewhat hypothetical, Dr. Vanderhilst said. Freedom of speech goes very far, but it makes civility difficult. Dr. Vanderhilst added that he invited Dr. Abbott to meet privately with faculty there to discuss his research. Dr. Abbott, for his part, said he had tenure at a grand university that valued free speech, and with luck, 30 years of teaching and research ahead of him, and yet the canceled speech carries a sting. Quote, There's no question that these controversies will have a negative impact on my scientific career, he said but I don't want to live in a country where instead of discussing something difficult, we go in silence debate. Um, yeah, you know, I agree with that. Um, in a way, hold on. Phone's blown up. Um, I, I think that talking about stuff is important no matter what it is. Um, And even in a lot of debates, I believe the format that works best is to have the people that don't agree with a specific viewpoint be the ones that are arguing in favor of that viewpoint Um, because it allows them to actually do their research on the issue and find these arguments and really break them down and try to understand where they're coming from um, and, and what the source of that mindset and that perspective is that someone's been able to develop over the course of whatever period of time because it helps us think um teaches us a different way to think and it teaches us that people are going to look at things in what we see as abstract um and as annoying as that might be i think for the most part it's it's done in a way that is for discourse Um, but I I think we're becoming less sophisticated, um, in in that realm and that, you know, you can't really have a debate on ideas without it turning into like a nasty verbal exchange that, you know, results in personal attacks and, and character remarks. I just think it's really unfair. You know, the ideas come from places. They don't just pop up in a person's head. They're, they're sourced from somewhere. And so, you know, we need to kind of follow the breadcrumbs and figure out where it, it started. And then that way we can not only understand how other people think and look at things, but we can also understand better how we look at things and how we get to understanding why we see things the way we do. Or maybe in doing this, we'll find things that we thought we believed in one way that we weren't a hundred percent where we thought we were on whatever topic. Um, I think that's okay. Um, and again, I I think if people think they know everything, then why are you at a university? Um, you know, go change the world if you're so certain that you have everything figured out. Um, you know, I think that morals and values are important and it's obviously a a primary driver of, I would imagine most people, definitely most good people. Um, but you know, in doing that, you also have to welcome in the uncomfortable feeling that you get when someone disagrees with something that you believe in so strongly. Um, and as much as you want to immediately, uh, you know, just shoot down whatever they have to say, maybe just listen. Um, just to figure out where it's coming from for all the reasons that I mentioned. But, I mean, I don't know. With something like this, it's like it was totally unrelated. Um, And so I think that if it was something that would completely cloud someone's judgment and their openness to hearing the scientific... Talk. I mean, then just don't go, um, because it's not what it's about. And again, if the person popped up on a panel where another topic was being discussed, that was, you know, where they're coming from a, a controversial viewpoint, then sit on the other side of the panel or, or sit in the audience and raise your hand, and figure these things out with this person. And even if you don't change their mind, you may have changed someone else's by being able to properly advertise your views on something. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize that it it comes as to like some, uh, crusade of converting people just on, you know, the, the, blink of an eye where it's like, oh, you said this thing, blah, 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 blah." uh, why don't you agree with me yet? And it's, it's just not going to work. Um, and I mean, if you do that, chances are, you're just going to push someone further away from kind of leaning more towards what you think. And I don't think the goal in just existing in general is to make people think, the way that you do, I mean, obviously and and naturally, bad ideas are going to get trampled by the 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 obvious majority of people um, because bad ideas typically are are widely disproportionately not agreed with, um, and so they just get shot down because that's the nature of things. But you can't not have a a proper strategic approach to doing that. Um, If you have ideas, voice them. And if people don't agree with them, then talk about it and figure out why you don't agree. Um, Maybe you didn't even know that you were wrong. Uh, Or maybe if you heard enough people's viewpoints that were opposite of yours then you'd start to see things a little differently or you would use that to further see how you think about stuff um i just don't get the the uh immediate need to um just disregard the the entire resume of someone because of some perspective that they have and you know obviously there's outliers to that. There's outliers to everything. Um, you know, this isn't something that you can really deal in absolutes with because there's going to be stuff that contradicts, you know, one scenario between another. Um, and again, that's just how things are, but we can't look at things so like plainly, um, because, you know, ideas and discourse has depth, um, and and depth just bothers people, I feel, um, I mean, how does that benefit anyone when it comes to education, um, yeah, (sighs) so anyways, um, that's that, yeah, shoot me a message, um, let's talk about it. This will be fun. Um, always interested in what people have to say about stuff. Um, yeah. And to close, when I do that whole commonplace book thing, um, once I actually get it going, I'll, I'll post some stuff about it. Um, I think when we when we get into our new house, we're going to um, find a place that we can put a lot of books. So I'm thinking about hitting up some some local places and seeing if I could just find a bunch of good stuff to fill bookshelves up with. Um, And we'll see where we go from there. Um yeah, fun little project um, but yeah, definitely reach out and uh let me know what you uh think about this stuff. It'll be interesting to see what some people gotta say um, and if you think you disagree with anything that I said, then that's even better, and let's figure out where we're at um. That's what everything is all about. So yeah, uh, today's Thursday. Is it too early to say have a good weekend? Probably won't talk to you in the next few days. Um, Yeah, bye-bye.